0: The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, My name is Shelley Graff, and I'm subbing here tonight for Mark while he's away on retreat. I occasionally do this for him. Most of late, I've been at least subbing for him occasionally. I also work here at Common Ground in the office, and I've done that for about five years or so, and I teach mindfulness-based stress reduction and lead the teen group, teen practice group on Sunday mornings also. It's good to see you all. So tonight I want to talk a little bit about intimacy. We hear our Dharma teachers and meditation teachers talk about intimacy or at least make reference to intimacy quite often, directing us to be intimate with the breath or intimate with the body. And we can probably have a sense that this means something (laughs) important, (laughs) but really that it points to are the importance of connecting or getting close to something. It's like sincere, mindful attention includes intimacy. Like To be mindful is to be intimate. Gina Sharp is a teacher I've been inspired by for the last few years. She's the guiding teacher at New York Insight. And she talks about Paying intimate attention. I like it when she says that. Pay intimate attention. And she says it in such a kind and also really assertive way that lets me know it's important. And it seems like she's referring to a kind of steady attention that we get from being intimate. Gina suggests that rather than looking at practice or life as something conceptual, we can see life or the unfolding of experience as something that can be understood right here in the present moment viscerally or somatically through intimacy. And this is the experiential practice of mindful awareness. But what does it actually mean to be intimate with? in our lives. So, let's see what Google says. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Google describes intimacy simply as a close familiarity or friendship. It sounds about right. And we can see what we can learn about intimacy from Naomi Shihab Nye, who's a wonderful poet. Her father was Palestinian and her mother is American. She lives in San San Antonio and she considers herself a wandering poet. This is one of my favorites from her, it's called Kindness. Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things. Feel the future dissolve in a moment like like salt in a weakened broth. What you held in your hand, what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go so you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness. How you ride and ride thinking the bus will never stop. The passengers eating maize and chicken will stare out the window forever. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must travel where the Indian in a white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you, how he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. Only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to mail letters and purchase bread. Only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, It is I you have been looking for, and then goes everywhere with you like a shadow or a friend. And as I read this again and again, I was like, I wonder what happens if you replace the word kindness with the word intimacy. I wonder what we can learn about intimacy. So let's check it out. Before you know what intimacy really is, you must lose things. Feel the future dissolve in a moment like salt in a weakened broth. Before you learn the tender gravity of intimacy, you must travel where the Indian in a white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. Before you know intimacy as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. Then it is only intimacy that makes sense anymore. They seem almost synonymous to me. Intimacy and kindness. And I see some more in this poem that might point us in the direction of what it's like to be intimate. She says, tender gravity. The tender gravity of kindness. And I really feel the depth of that. And courage. You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. And loss. the size of the cloth. And then some resolution or surrender. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. So I've been practicing with this question, what is intimacy and what does it mean to be intimate? And I'd just like to share with you some of what I've been learning in case it's helpful in some way. First, the question of what is intimacy? And we need more than Naomi Shihabnai's understanding and we also need more than my take on it. This practice that we do, this meditation or this practice of mindful awareness is always experiential. It always calls us to look directly at our experience and see what we can understand, what we can learn from it. We are always invited to check out what we think we know, and in this way, life becomes one big experiment, a quest to learn more, and we're always trying to learn about what leads to suffering and what leads to freedom. That's why we're checking it out, because we're curious about that big question. And I really take, um, I really feel good that you don't have to be the smartest person <laughs> to do this practice. You just have to be sincere in your quest. I feel like I can at least do that. So how might we get to know intimacy? Well, we might start by asking some questions. Inquiry is always a good place to begin. Such as, like, What can we be intimate with? And when I've been asking this question, I've really come to the answer again and again that anything I can be in relationship with, I can be intimate with. And without intimacy, it doesn't really seem like we're in relationship. In fact, we're disconnected. So, intimacy is being in relationship. Is there anything we can't be in relationship with? Like, think about it. Start to name all of the things in your life that are important to you people, pets, children, ourselves, our belongings, our community. the earth and we can also ask the question what gets in the way of intimacy what gets in the way of being in relationship so through my practice and exploration I have I think learned that intimacy has some qualities. There are three main qualities that I've noticed again and again, and there could be lots more, (coughs) but I'd like to talk about these three tonight a little bit. And they are vulnerability, kindness, and a surrender or a willingness. And it seems that when looking at intimacy, these qualities are always there. So first, vulnerability. Yeah, so far I haven't been able to feel intimacy without feeling vulnerable also. You might have heard of the social worker, the social work researcher, named Brene Brown. She's been quite popular in the media, and primarily popular because of her work around her research on vulnerability. There's a good TED Talk. It's short, like most TED Talks are, and you can Google that, and if you Google Brene Brown vulnerability, you can find it. And she says that courage starts with showing up and letting ourselves be seen. So... In this way, vulnerability is a verb, something that we can do. It's about taking a risk and trusting that the benefits might be worth it. But vulnerability is more than taking a risk. There's a bigger truth that can be revealed by looking at vulnerability. And we learn through our Buddhist practice that vulnerability can point to a wisdom that recognizes impermanence and the fragility of this life. And we can learn this by understanding the first noble truth that vulnerability is the first noble truth. This is the noble truth of suffering. The Buddha said that birth is suffering, aging is suffering, sickness is suffering, and dissociation from the loved is suffering. And it seems that in moments I feel the most vulnerable I'm really feeling the fragility of this life. The real possibility of separation from those who I love. The possibility of dying, getting sick and dying. Like it seems that that truth is becoming more and more clear. And that can be both painful and really liberating So these qualities, vulnerability, kindness, and either resolution or surrender. The next is kindness. And like we learned by reading that poem by Naomi Shihab Nye, kindness and intimacy seem synonymous or at least really connected. And I've really seen that it's hard to be intimate when my heart is full of anger or ill will. And I can see this really clearly in a moment of difficulty with another human being, in a moment of disagreement, argument. In good moments during conflict, I have a percentage of my attention on my experience right here in this heart and a percentage of of my attention on the person I'm talking to so that I never lose what's happening here. I never actually lose the movement of this heart because it's then that I can sort of ride the waves of emotion and not get caught by them. And when I can do that, then I can respond more skillfully, less reactively. So this practice is about learning to be intimate with myself. And it's important to remember that intimacy is always felt right here. It is certainly co-created and supported by trust in a relationship, but it's always felt, felt right here. Just like it's the movement of this heart that's being known in a moment of intimacy. And when I'm not at my best, I lose contact with my own heart, and then I try to convince myself that I'm not angry or frustrated, and then start controlling, sounding something like, you always blah, 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 or I wish you would blah, 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 right? It's like, Projecting that outward and forgetting that, oh, that's happening right here. What can I do about this? Mark Nunberg, the guiding teacher here, once um, recommended that I use uh, the voice, and he probably has said this a lot of times, and you may have heard it too, the voice of like a loving grandmother when you're talking to yourself. And sometimes I do that, like when this heart is full of something that is really not all that pleasant to look at. It's like, oh, sweetie, of course it's like this, right? Just a little more kind to myself. But wouldn't it be better if instead of saying, I wish you would blah, 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 which my partner over here has heard me say, I'm sure more times than she'd like to admit. What if I said something like, when you say that I feel ashamed, like I'm not good enough. I can just, I have said that at times and I can even imagine and I know what it's like that feeling of connection with my own heart is strong and the relationship has a fighting chance of making it through that moment. Is it possible to be intimate without being kind? I don't think so. Is awareness possible without kindness? I don't think so either. It seems that kindness or friendliness is necessary for the heart to open. And this was a long time ago, but it was such a good lesson. I was on retreat. It was, I think, my first nine-day retreat. And for the first six days, I had a bad headache. And I was on retreat with Kamala Masters, and she and Steve Armstrong have been coming to the Twin Cities for the last 20-plus years to offer this retreat. And so after about day six, I had an individual interview with Kamala, and I had the nerve to ask the question that I thought was stupid, like what is up with this headache? And like a good teacher, she was exploring with me the conditions of my mind and heart. And I just remember her response being something like, oh, sweetie, you can't just bore into that pain. It's like a gentle rubbing. It was like, oh, right. You can't open to something if, The attempt at noticing is not kind, is not gentle, is not kind of accepting and available that way. So we've got vulnerability and kindness and the next willingness or surrender. And with this one, willingness or surrender, I can see what gets in the way of intimacy most clearly in my close relationships with friends or my partner. I have a very dear friend who I've been friends with for at least 15 years. We've seen each other through lots of difficult times in our lives, we've cried and laughed and not known what to do together. We've worked together, we've played together, we've shared holidays and birthdays together. I keep a copy of some of her most important documents at my house so that she's sure people can find them if something happens to her. So I really, we have a great relationship and I really trust her. And we've had a lot of moments together to build that trust over time. And still at times, I don't feel completely safe enough to be vulnerable. It's the strangest thing. But it actually doesn't have anything to do with her. It seems like it comes from this unreasonable expectation for complete safety in a moment. Like complete safety. Like there's no possibility that I could get hurt. And that's just not the way things go. It's like, I expect complete safety or I hold out. I've watched myself do this like, I'm not gonna bear my truth until she bears hers first. I wonder if any of you have noticed that in conversations. And it doesn't, it can be with a friend. I mean, I clearly notice this with her, it can be with a partner. It could even be with a kid. I work with children in schools and teenagers. Sometimes I can find myself getting into a power struggle with a teenager and, like, I don't want to be the adult. (laughs) There's a great book. It's called How to Be an Adult in Relationships by David Rico. And it's about romantic relationships, but... I think it works for any relationship. He says, David Rico says, if both of us are merely fair toward one another, love will never begin, let alone last. Someone has to be generous first. If both of us are merely fair toward one another, love will never begin, let alone last. Someone has to be generous first. I'm not suggesting that we stop using our common sense or that we stop using the wisdom that we have to leave relationships when it's not safe or when there's danger. But I'm just pointing to to how sometimes the heart just doesn't surrender. It just keeps looking for more certainty or safety when there isn't any. It's like this first noble truth again that the only truth is that of understanding suffering. And so how about You know, this challenge to myself and maybe to all of us to be willing to bear our hearts because we'll learn something about ourselves through the process. Letting go of our expectations about how others respond or how the environment will be just right. But just being willing to show up, connect, and to be intimate so that this heart transforms but it's hard to let go of our beliefs about how the world should be how I should be how you should be it feels threatening to let those go to let go of views or beliefs it's like there's no ground to stand on like if I don't have these beliefs then what's left who am I what's left who knows But what is left? What's left is nature, the natural and lawful unfolding. Natural and lawful. This unfolding that is a result of causes and conditions, cause and effect over time. That's what's left. And it's the only solid ground we actually have to rest. Patrice Kelsch gave a talk this morning during the morning practice group. And I would highly recommend listening to it if you could find it on the web. It'll be up there probably in a couple of weeks. All of Common Ground's talks are now on Dharma Seed, but you can get to Dharma Seed by going to the Audio Dharma section of the website. There's a link there. Her talk was about understanding racism through the lens of wise or right view. She was talking about how easy it is to form fixed views. And one of the views that white people often form is, I don't want to talk about this because I'm uncomfortable. Like life is supposed to be comfortable. (laughs) That's not true. There has never been a guarantee of comfort in this life, in this practice. And we're here to learn to let go of our attachment to everything, our bodies, the way we look, our material possessions and our relationships, and our views and beliefs. So she's going to continue and offer a part two talk next Sunday morning, um, continuing to talk about racism, but she'll be looking at racism through the lens of wise intention so if you're available I'll be here so where does intimacy show up? this is another good question to ask when we're trying to explore investigate something we can just look in our lives like where does this show up? where can I learn from this? and if we can be intimate with anything we're in relationship with then we start to look for intimacy in places where we feel in a relationship with something. Remembering that intimacy is always available because it's always available here, right? And we can find it when we just care enough to it's like I just need to I just need to care not only about what's good for me, but what also what's good for you. Now, even when I say that, like I just need to care not only about what's good for me, but what's good for you. I thought about that for a minute, and I actually gave a flavor of this talk yesterday at the day-long retreat, and I had it written differently on my paper yesterday. I wrote it this way today, but, if I would have said, you just need to care about not only what's good for you, but what's good for us, you see the pronoun different? like the use versus the I. I just need to care not only about what's good for me, but also what's good for you. Just in saying that, like I could feel the difference in the heart, the intimate connection with the words, because they matter to me. Using, and we can, I've noticed this again and again when I, speak with from the first person when I say I feel, I need, I want, I can, I feel more accountable to that. And when I say you or we or us, it feels there's like there's a little more distance between what I'm saying, the words, and the intent. Try it yourself. See what you learn. I just need to care not only about what's good for me, but what's good for you. And this illustration from Audre Lorde. Audre Lorde was a self-described black lesbian warrior mother poet. She was an important civil rights activist. This is called COPE. It has rained for five days running. The world is a round puddle of sunless water where small islands are only beginning to cope. A young boy in my garden is bailing out water from his flower patch. When I ask him why, he tells me, young seeds that have not seen sun forget and drown easily. I need to care not only about what's good for me, but also what's good for you. So where does intimacy show up? I have a couple examples to share with you, but even better than mine will be your own exploration. In silence, I've noticed this again and again, and those of you who have been on retreat have probably noticed this too. And every time I go on retreat, if it's for a day or a half day or longer, it's easy to feel intimate with the other people that are there on retreat. And it's interesting because we spend all of our time in silence But <laughs> what is this and I think it's because we share a common intention and together we create a container that is safe enough for us to at least stay it may not be completely safe and certainly there are degrees of safety that people feel in any particular space but it's quite beautiful To think that we're all here and we feel safe enough to be here in this room together on a Sunday night at Common Ground, many of us who don't know each other, but yet together we're co-creating something, an environment that is safe enough for us to practice. And we do this with our shared intention, and sometimes we do this at least on retreat by making a commitment to um, honor the precepts, which are just some guidelines for ethical living around non-harming. It is quite beautiful that even though there are many differences in this room, we can all come together and create something like this that feels so nice and maybe unique. Larry Yang, who is another teacher I've been inspired by, he teaches in California, one of the founding teachers at East Bay Meditation Center. He says that, especially about the silence on retreat, as we are able to relax, we begin to see more clearly how the mind functions and how the heart responds our willingness to be intimate allows us to notice what we take for granted like do we know how precious this life is do we really know do we know how precious this breath is the body And when the room gets still, when our minds get still, when we're together in this kind of intimate way, even in silence, we have a little more space to explore and get in touch with this precious human life. And another example where intimacy shows up is with each other, and for me, pets and children have been really good teachers. (laughs) I have a great, lovable, little pit bull, Runt. She's a little bit smaller than an average pit, and she's just as wiggly. (laughs) When I get home from work, she's been alone all day, and she needs a little of my sincere attention, and I know this. It doesn't have to be very long, but she needs a few minutes, and the quality of my attention really matters. When I am distracted with the past, my day, or the future, what the evening is going to be, she is aloof. And when I am all hers for just a few minutes, she's sweet and lovable, and happy, prancing around afterward with her ball, showing off. And another example, my goddaughter, when she was one, my partner and I, along with her moms, took a camping trip just for a few days. And she is completely in love with her other godmom, my partner. And it's like when she's playing with her or sitting with her, The world disappears, and it's just her and Stacy. And so here we are sitting at the picnic table. She's in Stacy's lap and completely happy. They're playing and talking, and I'm sitting on the other side of the picnic table just happily watching. And then she reaches over and touches my hand as if to draw me into the moment. It was so surprising and amazing that this one-year-old knew how to be in relationship. And there's no end to the number of examples of how intimacy expresses itself in human interactions. It's been important for me to remember that emotional pain does not get in the way of intimacy, that it's actually a part of intimacy. It is possible to be with pain. This journey that we're on does not depend on comfort. And being mindful does not mean that life will be pleasant. In fact, to risk being intimate is to accept that loss is a part of things. We will all die someday, and for one reason or another, we will become separated from those we love. We'll hurt each other. When we sign up to love, we accept the pain of loss. Intimacy takes courage. Intimacy is the first noble truth. And so we turn to feel the pain so deeply that we feel the weight of the gravity of it. We feel the depth, the uncertainty. That way it has no power over us and we need not be afraid. And I'll end with this illustration from the Velveteen Rabbit. The Velveteen Rabbit is a book about life and death as told from the vantage point of toys in a child's room. This excerpt is two toys, rabbit and skin horse talking to each other. Nod your head if you know this. Yeah, good. Real isn't how you are made, said the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loved you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. When you are real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up, he asked, or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily, or have sharp edges, or who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off, and your eyes drop out, and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you are real, you can't be ugly, except to people who don't understand. Thank you for your kind attention. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And We have about 10 minutes left for questions or comments, if you have them.
2: Thank you. (coughs) Hi. Uh,
0: Can you say your name?
2: Oh, sorry, my name's Adam. Hey, Adam. Um, Last night, my friend, um, when he was on vacation, had met some people who were traveling across country and had in passing mentioned that they should uh, look him up if they came to the Twin Cities and um, they did much to his surprise and uh, he invited them over to my house to host dinner and um, so these were two complete strangers and I was um, really pleasantly surprised by how easy it was to be intimate with these people that I knew I was not going to just run into again, right? Um, It was like there was none of that usual fear that, oh, I'll have to look them in the eyes tomorrow. And if I had said something embarrassing, whatever embarrassing thing I had said would rush back to me and and be painful, right? Mm -hmm. So it was really easy to just have these like very fluid and open and honest conversations. And I don't know, your talk really... Um, yeah, got to bring that into other interactions more often. So thank you.
0: Thank you. Can you speak up a little bit, Sam? There, Yeah, that's much better. That uncertainty of, but you want that intimate connection. Is it just allowing it to happen, that moment? Or I guess I, it's easy to do what in that sense like what he was saying but so much harder when you're with something that's more in your daily or whatever it's not going to be a passing thing not so transient so the question is how to do that how to be vulnerable and intimate with our longer term relationships the romantic partners or longtime friends or things like that yeah Yeah, she, she was just asking a question about how to be intimate in relationships that are long-term, like romantic partner or long-term friendship or something like that. I imagine children could be a part of that. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, what I've learned is that in relationships that are fairly safe, that it's a good place to practice. Um, And just the reminder that this, that intimacy is happening here and that there's a possibility of opening that there's there is the possibility of being vulnerable and really exists and to just keep practicing doing the next right thing but to not try to figure it all out like to have to know how to how to get there right? but just to keep practicing doing the next right thing in every moment. It's like maybe the next right thing is just to Make an I statement. Or maybe the next right thing is to show up with full attention. Maybe the ni- next right thing is who knows what. But remembering that that's really all we ever have to do. Like We don't have to know. We, we can't predict a long time ahead, but we can do something about right now.
1: Judy.
3: Hi, oh, okay. Megan. Um, thanks for your talk, Shelly. That was hey, lovely. Um, I always hold this wrong. <laughs> um, I was going to say, just on the topic of vulnerability, I was talking to this physician yesterday who was, she had finished her residency a year before, and it was her first year as an independent physician, and she works in a level one trauma center, and I asked her how, how it was going, because that's a big jump to finish your training and to be, working independently and she she said you know it's really challenging um but I enjoy it overall and she was talking a little bit more and she's like yeah I'm pretty much afraid every single day I go in um and she's been working for about 10 months now but she like said that with a smile (laughs) and it was just amazing to hear that like despite being nervous and being afraid and um you know all of the emotions that go with that that period of transition and growth, that she was just really positive about it and that she had the perspective of um, being able to see herself learning um, and still being able to do her job really well despite being afraid. Um, so that was, I thought that was kind of inspiring. So, Yeah, thanks, Megan. It is a wonderful thing just to
0: be able to receive ourselves as learners and not as people who have to have something figured
1: out. I really appreciated this talk, and I really res- was struck by when you were um, speaking about I statements, and um, I've just been realizing a lot lately how I, I don't do that as much. And um, and when I was, after the talk, I was reflecting on really uh, the, the difficulty I have with um, really with feeling and opening the heart and thinking about what, you know, how to, it's like my heart doesn't know how to do that. Or, And then you, when you were saying, well, you don't have to know, you just have to <laughs> try to do the right next thing. I, it did make me think that, you know, because I was kind of reflecting, I don't, I don't know the nature of that barrier, it's whatever, <laughs> and I probably won't know it. But um, but it did seem to me that if I am more conscious of making I statements about my feelings, that that might be a way to kind of have that heart more open or something. I don't know if you have any wisdom <laughs> to yeah. share about that.
0: <laughs> I don't know about that, but it sounds like a great experiment. And I'd like to hear after you started. I'd love to hear where you're at in a few weeks. Yeah. One of the, Thich Nhat Hanh offered these mantras. Um, There's something like, darling, I care about you. Darling, I know you're suffering and I'm here for you. And then there are a couple of others. And as a way to um, really help ourselves own our own experience my partner Stacy over here and I decided to work with these mantras for a couple of months and so we gave ourselves permission to only say those phrases when either of us were expressing a need to the other so I could say I would really like you to remember to put your shoes in the closet And she would say, darling, I care about you. I can see that you're suffering. (laughs) 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 And that's it. Like, she didn't get to say, I'll put my shoes in the closet and make everything better for you. She just got to reflect back that she heard me express a need. And it was so powerful. Like, there was nobody to blame or to expect to take care of me. Right? I had to just be responsible, completely responsible for my own feelings and my own needs and find a way to soothe myself. So, yeah. Report back what you learned, Judy. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website